Amen. You may be seated. So good to have you here today uh, in God's house if you're visiting here today, but so good to have all those who have come to faith in Christ and really just the amazing thing God is doing through our ministries here at this church and seeing people uh, walk with the Lord and want to follow Him. So it's, it's a very special time, very sweet time as well, and uh, just a precious, precious thing to me to be a part of that. I want you to take your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, and then also have your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So Romans 6 and 1 Corinthians 10, I'm going to read two separate sections. I've decided today to do a little sermon on baptism, uh, mainly because I did the ordinance last week at the Lord's Supper, and I thought it was a perfect time to teach you on baptism and why we even do it and what it's really about and how God wants to continually speak to your lives through baptism. It's not just a ceremony. There's a whole lot more to it, and so many times it can be missed, and so I feel compelled to teach on this today. I've entitled this message today, Leave It in the Water. Leave it in the water. Stand with me now. We're going to read God's Word. Romans chapter 6, I'm going to start in verse verse 3. I'm going to start right there and just read few verses here. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians 10. I'm going to read a couple verses here. Uh, let me read, well, I'll read the verse verse 1 chapter 10 for I do not want you to be unaware brethren that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them and that rock was Christ you may be seated keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians 10 the reason this is so central is because I want you to see that the Bible teaches that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is, in the New Testament, the fulfillment of the Passover and the Red Sea crossing in the Old Testament. So all those things in the Old Testament, the Passover and the Red Sea, were just pictures. They were pictures, incredible pictures, because you'd have loved to have been at the Red Sea and the crossing. You'd have loved to have that opportunity to see that and God opening up the waters and that is just a picture fulfilling the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So more specifically, in communion, the death and burial of Christ fulfills the Passover. In baptism, the resurrection of Christ fulfills the crossing of the Red Sea. And that's the way you should understand those two Old Testament passages and their fulfillment today. And God says, I don't want you to ever forget about those, and I don't want you to ever forget about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians teaches us that what we call a Red Sea deliverance, really, God calls it a baptism. Now think about that for a minute. I hear those squeaky shoes. I know why they're squeaking. I got, I got water on my socks 
and I just feel like I've just, you know, come out of the Red Sea. I mean, every time I step, I feel a little squish, but uh, so it's a little tough to do that. It's a quick turnaround time, too, by the way. You, you got to get right back there, change back over to your clothes, and get right up here and preach. I told him, can you do two songs? No, we can only do one. I said, great. So I had six minutes to get changed around back there. It's crazy, but anyways, we did it. All right, so what was I talking about? I was talking about the Red Sea. Okay, God teaches us that what we call the Red Sea deliverance, God calls it a baptism. Now, that's amazing to me because they were not all baptized under Moses. In, were they not all baptized under Moses in the sea? I didn't know that was a baptism service, but that's what God considered it. I thought they were coming out of a fire escape, getting away from their enemies, and God's saying, no, it wasn't an escape. It was a baptism. And most people don't think that way because they don't understand the New Testament scripture on it, but that's exactly what was going on. The Red Sea crossing then becomes pivotal in the Old Testament for the fact that over and over he wants to tell them, hey, am I not the God who brought you out of the Red Sea with a mighty hand? He never wants them to forget that in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, am I not the God who went and took your death and was buried for you and rose again, and I'm going to give you resurrection based upon that event? Am I not that God who did that in your life? So what does that mean for you? Okay, so there's always something God does in your history that, that becomes the underlying basis for your faith and your future. Now let that just sink in for a minute. There's always something he does in your history that becomes the underlying basis for your faith and your future. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a place where your faith anchors. It anchors. And you can always go back to it, and you always come back and you say, I know God did that for me. I know God did that for me, and you never forget that. And so no matter what you face into your future, whatever predicament you get in, or wherever you get caught, wherever your Red Sea events are, God says, go back. Did I not do this for you? Will I not continue to deliver you in the way that I see fit in your life? And so that's very important. This place, the crossing of the Red Sea, New Testament baptism, if you will, is the place of three things, and I want to talk about those today. And I'm going to be mindful of the time because I'm getting started a little later than I normally do. But I'm going to try to teach some things to you that you may not have known. If you look at 1 Corinthians 10, you'll see three things that should stand out at you. In verse 1, you've got the cloud. In verse 2, you've got the sea. And in verse 4, you've got the drinking of the water out of the rock. The cloud, the sea, and the water out of the rock. They're all water. They're all water. Now, that's an amazing thing right there. They're all water. The water events of Scripture are key to understanding God is closely tied to water. God is closely tied to water. It's important you develop that in your theology. Matter of fact, there's the principle of first mention. I don't typically teach you some of these things, but the, thing, the first time something's mentioned in Scripture, it becomes key to playing out the whole Bible. So, for example, when God created the earth, he made it out of water. He made it out of water. And the very first thing he did is he moved over the water. He moved over the face of the deep. That's what God first did. That's his first action after the creation. He moved over the face of the water because there's a connection between God and water. 
Now, I don't know if I can fully grasp this because there's not a lot of writers that do much on this, but I'm telling you there's a unity between God and water. God and water. Man was created out of the dust. Well, how was the dust created? The dust was created out of water. How do you create water, the earth, and then make dust out of that and then make man out of that? So man is not just made out of dust per se, he's also made out of water. That's why up to 75% of your body is water. That's, that's incredible to think about, just let the reflection on this, okay? I, I was doing a little research on this. 73% of your brain and heart are water. 63% of your lungs is water. 64% of your skin is water. 79% of your muscles and kidney are water. And then even your bones, we talk about dry as bones, even 31% of your bones are made up of water. Now just think about it. You want what you're made of. You want what you're made of. You're made of water, therefore you want water. It's important you understand that because that water concept permeates the Bible at so many levels. All right? Pharaoh was drowned in the water. The priests had to wash in the laver before they could go into the water, into the Holy of Holies. The generation of Israelites passed through the Red Sea. The new generation of Israelites had to pass through the Jordan River. Moses drew water out of a rock, not out of a creek bed, not out of an ocean, out of a rock. Because the rock came out of the water, which is how God created the earth. So there's actually water in a rock, even though you find that hard to believe. Because it came out of the rock. How do you do that? How do you do that? Jesus started immediately his ministry at the Jordan River to be baptized in the water. He goes down into the water. He comes up out of the water. The first miracle, they ran out of wine. Jesus said, get me six water pots full of water. Water. The woman at the well, he said, if you'll drink of this water that I have, you will never thirst again. You will never thirst again. Peter met Jesus walking on the water. The Ethiopian eunuch said, hey, here's water. What to hinder me to be baptized? God reveals himself with water. That's so important. That's why baptism is so important. You think it's just a ceremony, but the truth of the matter is, I'm going to try to say as best I can, there is power in the water. There is power in the water. And so I want to say to you today, don't estimate the power of the water. This is why God uses it in baptism. All right? When God gets ready to deliver the children of Israel, who'd have thought God would destroy Pharaoh and his army with the simplicity of water? Water. We, we don't think of water as a weapon. We, we don't think of it as a tool of where, warfare, but it is to God. I would not fight Pharaoh with a water hose or with a water gun, but God can. God can fight Pharaoh with a water gun and win. God can use anything. He doesn't need M16s. He doesn't need nuclear weapons. He doesn't need rocket launchers. He doesn't need any of that. He could just use water. Water. The way God fights is so strategic, so strategic. Who'd have thought Pharaoh would be killed by water? But if you make God angry enough, if you make God angry enough, anything is lethal in his hands. 
And when God's had enough, when he's had enough, he'll take you out with something that should have kept you alive. He killed Pharaoh in what he was born in. He was born in water. You know why you're born in water? It's easier to get you out. That's why you're born in water. And so the very thing he was born in, the same water that brought him into the world is the same water that took him out. Noah was delivered by water. Okay? He lifted, the water lifted the ark up as the rain fell. And everything saved found life in the water. And everything that was unsaved found death in the water. To one person, it's death. To another, it's life. God can bring life and death out of the same substance. He was killing one, and he was making another alive. So there's so many uses of water in the Bible. I wish I understood more than that, but he uses it to kill. He uses it to give life. He uses it to change. He uses it to cleanse. He uses it to protect. He uses it to do miracles, and on and on and on and on. It's central to the way he has well, uh, unfolded his plan. Water. Now, this text describes Israel in bondage and slavery. 400 years they've been estranged in their relationship with God. No sacrifices, no ceremonies, no cleansing, no worshiping of God for 400 years. And then they start to cry out in their bondage. They cry out to God. It's a beautiful picture. And they cry out to God and they prayed to God and their voice was heard. Their voice was heard. Let me just say something to you, okay? You're not too far off either when you cry out to God. When's the last time you cried out to God? You're not so far off that he won't hear you. That's a powerful thing to know in your walk with God. When they cried, he still heard them. Didn't matter how bad it got, it didn't matter how deep they were in. I just thought to myself, I'm so thankful he hears my cries. Psalm 116, 2 came to my mind. David said, I love the Lord because he heard my cry. He heard my cry. I love that. I love that. As long as I live, he said, and troubles rise, I will hasten to his throne. I will hasten to his throne. You can't help but love a God that will answer your cries. He said, I'll fight for them. I'll fight for those slaves. That's all they were. Slaves weren't worth much, but to God, they were so valuable. Back in those days, they gave slaves as gifts to people. But here, God said, they are so valuable to me because Israel is my son. He's my child. He belongs to me. I will fight with you over it to get my children back. I'll do whatever I have to do. I'll attack you with flies. I'll attack you with frogs. I'll attack you with locusts. But most of all, I'll attack you with water. I'll do whatever I got to do to get my son back, my firstborn Israel. There's something about that, that God wages war against those when he hears the cries of his children. There's something about a parent. All they have to hear is a child's cry, and they are on it. They will come running just like that for a child's cry. Now, 
I kind of gave all that intro to just say this to you. I'm going to give you three simple things of why we baptize and why it's so important to your life and to understand it in the context of water. First of all, number one, it's a place of sanctification. That's why you want to be baptized. It's a place of sanctification. The word sanctification just means to set apart, just to set apart. In the New Testament, it is a setting apart. See, the Red Sea in the Old Testament is where God teaches separation. God teaches separation. He's the God of separation. He divides things. He separates things. That's what he's always going to do in people's lives. He's going to separate things. He separates light from darkness. He separates the water from the ground. He separates the waters that are above and the waters that are beneath in the firmament. God says, you don't have to be afraid of what's trying to overtake you. God says, I'll put a barrier between you and it. That's why you got the Red Sea. There's a barrier between the enemies and Israel. I will set you apart to me. I'm going to separate you from some things, but you're going to be mine. So he sets them apart from their enemy, their, their oppressor, from Pharaoh, from Satan, if you will. But understand, they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And when they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they were justified by the blood. But when they got down into the waistline and went down under the water, they were now sanctified by the water. Justified by the blood, but sanctified by the water. Set apart for God's purposes in their life. That's why whenever you see the Bible do this, and just keep this in the back of your mind, anytime in the New Testament, water and blood are mentioned together, he's talking about the Red Sea and the Passover. The Red Sea and the Passover. Okay, so understand, they're justified by the blood, but sanctified by the water, which is a barrier. And basically that barrier is saying, you can't cross this line. You can't cross. I remember as a kid, I used to do that. I'd say, I double dare you to cross this line. And my sisters were all older than me. They'd step right over that line and look me right in the face. Well, I couldn't beat them up, so I'd draw another line. I double dare you. I double dog dare you to cross this line. They weren't scared of me one bit. But what God was doing in the Red Sea is he was drawing a line and he's saying, okay, Pharaoh, come on in the water. I double dog dare you to come into the water. And that's exactly what Pharaoh did. And he took his 600 best chariots and his best soldiers. Then he took thousands of his soldiers behind them and they went on down into the Red Sea. They crossed God's line. And when they crossed that line, the Bible says they were drowned in the seabed that was dry to the Israelites. Now, what is baptism all about? It's all parallel to baptism. Baptism is basically saying this, don't mess with me, don't mess with me, I'm not yours anymore. That's what baptism is trying to teach you. Don't mess with me, I'm not yours anymore. There are some things that are trying to take captive your life, your heart, your decisions, your direction. And what baptism says is, don't mess with me. There's a barrier now. I'm not yours anymore. All right? That's why it's called a place of sanctification. Let me go on. Number two, it's a place of transformation. And the word transformation in the Bible just means metamorphosis is the Greek word, but it just means to be changed supernaturally. God said, I baptized them in the water and I transformed them. Okay, understand this. So when they went into the water... They went in as slaves. But in the water, 
They were transformed and they came out not as slaves but as sons. Free sons, by the way, of God. In as slaves, out as sons. And that's why, that's why the Bible says in Romans 6, 3, when you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death. You were buried with him in baptized, baptism unto death. In other words, we go down into his death. When we go get baptized, it's a symbol, it's a picture that when Jesus Christ went down into his death, we went with him. That's, that's hard to fathom, but I want, I want to make sure you can get this, okay? When, when Israel went down into the Red Sea, you know why they went down the Red Sea? So they could be pronounced dead. They could be pronounced dead. That's, that's the whole truth behind this. They died in the Red Sea as slaves, and the only ones that came out were sons. Sons of God. That's, that's the whole point of transformation. God changes you from a slave, a slave to your past, a slave to your sin, and he transforms you to become one of his sons. So he separated you, so now you have the ability to be one of his sons. It's, it's a beautiful thing to understand this. So not only is your enemy defeated, but, but God is also saying to you, hey, I'm bringing you out of that, and you can't go back there anymore. I'm going to close that water up, and as it kills the Egyptians, you can't go back either. That's important to understand. That's what God wants you to understand in your walk with him. There are some things when you get saved, you never go back to. You never go back to them. You say, I'm finished. Fear, I'm finished with you. Troubles, I, I, I'm finished with you. Old passions, I'm done with you. I'm done with you. You can only push me so far. You may rattle me a little, but you can only get me so far because I can't go back there anymore. This is the place it stops. That's what baptism is saying. This is the place it stops. You recognize you're a son and you're not a slave to sin anymore. And you do not have to serve it. That's why you learn to love differently. You learn to give differently. You start acting like God's son or daughter because you've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. Before, you were just dead in your trespasses and sins. You were a deceiver and you didn't care. You were a conniver and you were okay with that. You got involved in premarital sex, you're fine with that. You know why? You're dead. But when Jesus Christ makes you a son of his, he kills your past, if you will. He pronounces it dead, and he says, now you're my child, and you don't deserve that. So now that when you connive, it bothers you. Now that you, when you deceive, it bugs you. Now that when you, when you have a, a bad spirit and a critical spirit of someone, it just bothers you in your spirit to do that because you realize I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. That's the difference. Before you were dead, it didn't bother you. You're going to keep living like that because you're dead. But when you've been made alive, now God says you're awake to that stuff. And you're basically saying the Red Sea is a good place to drown some things in your life. doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're aware of some things that are really going to eat you away if you don't keep walking with God. And they do. They, they eat me away. Because I know that's not who I am. That's not who I am, okay? And then the third one is the place of identification. And I like this one the best. They didn't die. 
when they went down in the Red Sea. They just look like they died. They just look like they died. Understand that about Jesus Christ, okay? When Jesus Christ died, he looked pretty dead. But all he died was in his body. His spirit never died. The Bible says in Psalm 2, it never saw corruption. His spirit never died when he died on the cross, but his body died. He just looked like he died in his spirit, but his spirit never dies. That's what we do in baptism. We don't really die. We identify. Now, I want to explain that word because that doesn't make sense a lot of times, but we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We identify with what he did. Watch this now. We were buried, the Bible says, we were baptized into his death. We were buried with him in baptism. We were raised to newness of life. Now, that's an amazing statement because sometimes you read that and just go right past it. But here's the deal. When Jesus went to the cross, he went for me. But he not only went for me, he went as me. When Jesus died for me, he not only died for me, but he died as me. He was not only buried for me, but he was buried as me. That's identification. He was not only raised up, and when he got up and got out of that grade, he got up for me, but he got up as me. That's complete identification in Christ. See, I don't know if you can really um, just kind of understand that concept that when Jesus died, you really died. When Jesus was buried, you were really buried. Even though it was backward in time, that's really when you died. And when Jesus rose again, you rose again. You say, well, I don't feel risen again. No, you don't, but the Bible does say right now you're at the right hand of the throne of God. You just can't experience that in your senses, but that's what the Bible says, and that's an incredible thing. That's identification. That's why we want to be baptized. I believe it. I believe that that's what happened to me. When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he rose, I rose. That's identification. It's a a beautiful thing. I didn't die, but it was like I died. So when I was baptized, it's like I was buried, and it was like I rose again. All that happened. (laughs) Can I explain that better than that? No, I can't. The one thing I can say is this, though. After my dad died, I was at the home, at my original homestead with my sister's and we were kind of settled in the will in the estate, and we hung around for a few days after the funeral, and uh, all of a sudden we got this phone call, and I picked up the phone, and it was uh, a jeweler. And the jeweler uh, was calling for Mr. Decker. Can I speak with Robert Decker? I said, well, I'm Robert Decker. He said, well, you know, three weeks ago you brought uh, a watch repair to our company here, and you still have not paid for the watch repair. I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking about my dad, Robert Decker Sr., okay? I'm Robert Decker Jr. Oh, well, can I speak to Robert Decker Sr.? No, you can't speak to him. My father just is deceased. He just passed away just a few days ago. And he said, uh, here's what he said to me. He said, well, how are you going to pay for the bill? I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm Robert Decker Jr. I didn't get a watch repair. how are you going to pay for the bill, sir? Now understand that, okay? Because I want you to get that. 
Up until the time my dad died, he owed the jewelry bill. But the minute he died, he doesn't owe anything anymore. You know why? Hear this now. Death pays all debts. Death pays all debts. He'll never have to pay that jewelry bill. He still hasn't paid it to this day. Now think about that. That's, that's just so important theologically. Death pays all debts. Now, when Jesus died, he paid my sin debt. And when he died, you died. And that's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 7, what's a beautiful verse, for he who has died is freed from their sin debt. They have no payments to make on it. You don't have to pay anything in your past once you get saved and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. All debts are paid. It's, it's beautiful to think about. You don't owe your addiction anything. You don't owe your past anything. You know, if there's one thing I hear from more people in my pastoring, I hear about the guilt they feel over their past and how their guilt drives them to live the way they do today. And so they're holding on to their guilt, and, and they'll even say this to me. I feel like God is punishing me for whatever he, whatever he did in that person's life. I feel like God is punishing me for my sin. Now, let me say something to you, okay? So you get this, okay? You didn't get that from the Bible. Now, you might have got it in your flesh, in your stinking thinking of your mind not being transformed, but you didn't get that from the Bible on your past. I, I, you don't have to explain it. You don't have to feel guilty. And you sure don't have to serve it with your life. If you allow what happened to you in your past to control who you are, and I don't know if this is a word, but I'm going to use it, you reincarcerate yourself. You put yourself back like you were dead. You put yourself back in bondage. You go back to who you were as a slave. You're letting that haunt you. This is so hard. I, we, we had lunch this week with the Triad Coalition for Life. And the two directors of the Triad Coalition took us out to lunch. And they were talking about how they're bringing all of the organizations together and can make it more effective. So there's all kinds of right to life, trauma abuse, all kinds of things that through abortion, all kinds of things that there's organizations out there. And there's like 20 some of those organizations. Well, in the Triad County in Foresight, they brought them all together. So they wanted to take me out to lunch and kind of explain that to me and what their goals are and where they're going. And so at lunch, one of the things that came up is um, a, a trauma counseling for a woman who had an abortion because they have an organization that helps with that. And they say one of the most difficult things they deal with is the guilt that they carry. And, and they went even further. Even Christian women who carry guilt over the fact that they had that abortion. And, and they struggle with that still to this day. That, that's, that's, that's not easy, but I'm telling you, if you understand what I'm telling you from the Word of God, that died in the water. And one of the hardest things to learn as a Christian is you've got to leave some things in the water. You've got to leave some things in the water that were drowned there 
Even today as a Christian, you may commit a sin that you feel guilty over. God may bring you to repentance with that, confess that, but I'm telling you, he either left it in the water or he didn't, and there's some things you've got to leave in the water in your life. Do you know one of the greatest things they deal with today is not so much just the women who have abortions, but they were telling me about the fact that the, the man, either the husband or the lover or the boyfriend, are dealing with guilt over the fact that they counseled their girlfriend or their wife to have the abortion. And so that's now one of the big things they're doing even today. And some people who go to good Bible-believing churches believe right now they're being punished for their sin. I'll tell you something. One of the hardest things you'll learn to do, but one of the best things you'll ever learn to do is to leave it in the water. Your guilt, your shame, your past, your sin, choices you made, to leave it in the water. It's hard to do, but I'm telling you as I stand here, that's what God wants you to do, is to learn how to leave things in the water. Now, can you feel that? Can you just sense that, what he's trying to do with your life? All I want to say is this. Don't wait to heaven to experience that. Don't wait to heaven to experience that. He wants to release that now into your life. That's all baptism does. It just tells you, here's some things that have died. I've separated them from your life, and you can't go back. And that's what we invite people to do when they publicly are baptized. It's a beautiful thing. All right, I'm going to close right there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. I thank you for the things that you have told us to leave it in the water. And I don't know who you're speaking here to today, Lord, but I ask. Sometimes we ought to have a spirit. We ought to shout over what we left in the water. (laughs) We ought to shout over what we left in the water. Can you sense this? There's some things God wants you to leave in the water. He wants to be your strength. He wants to be your song. He wants to be your salvation. He wants to be your king. The king over every, every sin. Every guilt. Just release it. God, thank you. It's hard for me to believe that, but thank you. You know, I thought this, I thought this morning about doing a little way to kind of make this mark. I thought about giving everybody a penny when they came in the door and then walking by this baptism and saying, if there's something you need to leave in this water, throw it in the baptism pool. Just leave it in the water. I don't know if it's something you still feel guilty over or some sin, or some fear, just leave it in the water. Then I thought my maintenance would be upset at me on Monday morning when they had to clean out hundreds of pennies out of the bottom of the baptismal pool. So I just said, I won't do that. But could you do that in your mind right now? Would you just let your mind go and say, God, I want to know it. I want to release this. I want to leave it in the water. 
I pronounce it dead, separated from me forever. God, I ask that over these in this room, that their spirit is speaking. Your spirit is speaking to them and their spirit is connecting right now. And they so want to enjoy that freedom, so want to walk in the newness of resurrected life. God, I pray it. I pray it over them right now. God, I ask your power over it, your presence, your will, Father, in all these things. God, I lift it up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to lead us in this song. The altar is open. If there's a need in your heart, God's been dealing or speaking to you about something in a personal way you want to come, you're welcome to do so. Let's, let's join in and worship now when we start worshiping songs.